Friends, the Catholic Church in our time is a shambles. But although this should always disappoint us, it should never surprise us. And we see that truth reflected in St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, from which we will be reading at Sunday Mass until the beginning of Lent. During these six weeks, please read, study, and pray with 1 Corinthians, and you will see in those 12 pages or so how Paul labored to reform and purify the Church of Jesus Christ in the very first years of Christianity, because from the beginning, the church was already a shambles. The meeting of the apostles, known as the Council of Jerusalem, took place around the year 50, after which Paul began the second of his three missionary journeys. Paul's last stop on that second journey was the city of Corinth in Greece, and he arrived there late in 50 or early in 51. In the time of Paul's visit, the large and prosperous port city of Corinth was an international trading crossroads of the ancient world, and nearly every form of pagan idolatry and moral depravity could be found there in abundance. At Corinth, Paul proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified and risen, and he established the first Christian community there. Paul began his preaching among the Jews living in Corinth, but when he met resistance from local Jewish leaders, the apostle turned his attention to the Gentiles and stayed with them for a year and a half, after which he returned to Jerusalem and arrived in the holy city at Pentecost. Then sometime around the year 56, while Paul was at Ephesus on his third missionary journey, he began to receive news that the church in Corinth, which he himself had founded, was coming apart at the seams. The community which Paul had organized was being torn to pieces by false doctrine, sexual immorality, liturgical abuses, personal rivalries, and church-dividing factions. Sound familiar? So Paul dispatched a letter to the troubled Corinthians in the hope that he could get them to repent and return to the obedience of faith in the gospel which he had preached to them and, when, and in which he had taught them to live by faith, hope, and love as disciples of the Lord Jesus. 1 Corinthians opens with a formulaic salutation and that is our second lesson today. But as we have seen before, the courteous introductions of Paul's letters usually contain rich theological deposits, and 1 Corinthians is no exception. We read, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to you who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be holy, with all those everywhere who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's dig in here to see what's going on. First, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. 
Here, Paul asserts that he has apostolic authority by a divine vocation. And his meaning is clear. The Corinthians should hear and heed what follows because Paul is not giving them his private theological opinions. He is rather handing on the divine revelation which he himself received from the Lord Jesus. In other words, Paul is teaching with authority because he is teaching the word of God. And this is one of the many reasons why bishops and priests should never mix their personal opinions with the preaching of the gospel, especially when their personal views concern matters of prudential judgment over which people are free to disagree. To mix personal opinion with the official teaching of the word of God cheapens the coin of the realm. And in this case, that coin is the gospel and the realm is the kingdom of God, the seed and beginning of which is the church. Paul then explains that he is writing to the church of God that is in Corinth. Notice that the name of the city gives the location of the church, but that is not a proper adjective to modify the church. There is no such thing as the Corinthian church. There is no American church or Argentine church. There is only the one true church in every time and place, adoring the same Lord, proclaiming the same gospel, and celebrating the same sacraments for the salvation of the world. Imagine how much grief Christians might have been spared if in the 16th century all the Catholics in Britain had said with one voice that there is no such thing as the Church of England. There is only the Church in England and France and Spain and everywhere. How much grief might we be spared today if all the Catholics in, for example, Germany and Brazil, along with their confused and straying bishops, understood and accepted this same truth? The universal church brings into existence all local churches, which are most often called dioceses in the West and eparchies in the East. And that universal or Catholic church was born from the side of Christ, as he slept upon the cross when blood and water poured out of his pierced side, signifying holy baptism and the Holy Eucharist, the sacraments by which we are born again and nourished unto everlasting life. And our full belonging to Christ and his church depends in turn upon our acceptance of the whole of divine revelation, the entire gospel delivered once for all to the saints and handed on age after age by the apostolic tradition. Paul wrote to the fractious Corinthians to remind them that in Christ they had been set apart from the world by grace through faith. And so he addressed his letter to the church of God that is in Corinth, to you who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be holy. But how? How are Christians sanctified? How are we called to be holy? By our baptism. In 1 Corinthians, Paul does not directly explain the connection between baptism and the call to holiness, but he does so in several of his other letters, especially in the letter to the Romans. Paul describes baptism as the means by which each Christian is clothed with Christ and conformed to the death of Christ so as to be conformed 
to the resurrection of Christ on the last day. In baptism, the Lord Jesus calls us each by name to follow him in the way of the cross. And not only does Christ call us to follow him, he also equips us in baptism to live the life of the new creation by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That is what Paul means by addressing the Christians in Corinth as you who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus call to be holy. We enter the church as through a door by baptism in which we become children of God, members of Christ, and heirs to the kingdom of heaven. And that is the beginning of our identity as missionary disciples sent to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth and the end of days. Last Monday, the church celebrated the feast of the baptism of the Lord. And we saw that the Lord Jesus went into the waters of the Jordan not to be cleansed himself, but to transform the ritual washing of his kinsman John into the first sacrament of the new covenant, an event described in the gospel today. The baptism of the Lord Jesus was also his anointing by the Holy Spirit, the consecration which made him the Christ, the Messiah. And Christ's baptism in the waters of the Jordan then set him on the road to Calvary and his baptism in blood. During his public ministry, the Savior referred to his coming passion and death as the baptism he would have to endure to accomplish the Paschal mystery, the shedding of his blood as the Passover lamb for the remission of our sins. And so in the Gospel today, we hear that at the Jordan, John the Baptist cried out, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Friends, the church is always in need of being reformed and purified, because all Christians are always in need of being reformed and purified. And that is both why we need a Savior and why we should never be surprised that the church is a shambles. If we want to contribute to the reformation of the church in our day, then we must live in keeping with the grace of our baptism through the obedience of faith in the gospel. <coughs> that is how we remain united to the Savior who sanctifies us and sends us on mission for the salvation of the world. And that is how we will be faithful witnesses always and everywhere to the saving truth proclaimed so long ago by St. Paul in Corinth. The saving truth that Jesus Christ is Lord.